0: Uh, if, you, uh, if you just met somebody brand new and you want to continue the conversation afterward, that would be great. Continue to do that. We're glad that you uh, got to meet some people. And uh, see, this you can tell, the people that didn't like that so much, they sat down right away. And then the rest of you, I'm going to have to keep talking until eventually you figure out that somebody else is talking too. So I want to share with you that I am a University of Kentucky Wildcats men's basketball sports fan, okay? That is the sport that I watch and love and adhere to. As a matter of fact, I am today wearing, I took the opportunity to wear a t-shirt today so that I could represent the Kentucky Wildcats. They played last night and they won, and I was so praying that they won, because I knew I was going to talk about them, and I didn't want someone to say, you know, they lost last night, Uh, but they won, okay? Uh, I do, I, I watch all sports, but the only team that I am fanatic about, that I am passionate about, is University of Kentucky basketball team. Now, how does a guy from New Jersey end up liking University of Kentucky basketball? Well, it turns out I went to college in Lexington, Kentucky, which is a small, there's a small school there called Asbury College, Small Christians College. Uh, I had never really watched basketball. I knew enough about it. I never really knew a lot about uh, the University of Kentucky basketball team. Until I got to Lexington and found out that the reason Kentucky is called the Big Blue Nation is because if you live in Kentucky, unless you're in that section of Louisville, which is in Kentucky, you say Louisville. Unless you're near Louisville, you are a Kentucky Wildcats fan. Everybody else chooses to uh, uh, cheer for Little Brother, which is the um, uh, University of Louisville, but everyone worships, and passionate about, the University of Kentucky Wildcats. I started out as a novice, all right? It turns out that I was actually watching a football game on a Sunday afternoon, and the football game at the very end was a close score, and the football game was preempted because the Wildcats were coming on. A college basketball team was coming on TV. I'm like, what land have I landed in where where national football team is interrupted because of a college basketball team? But four years later, I was hooked, and I became, uh, it. I started to bleed blue. I am about Kentucky. I wear Kentucky gear. Uh, one way you find out what you're passionate about, I thought of this uh, actually earlier this week, is go through your t-shirt drawer, and uh, I couldn't decide which Kentucky shirt to wear. I decided to wear the most recent one that I purchased because we have made it a goal in our family, or uh, kind of a, one of our values, is that we have finished we frequent Lexington to go to basketball games. So my daughters are here, uh, my wife is here, my son is not here, but we have all made trips out to Lexington to watch basketball games. Uh, I think I have pictures, what pictures are up there? Yeah, that's the girl, that's my son at his game uh, back uh, at Rupp Arena. Uh, The girls went, we just went this November uh, to there, and uh, we make pilgrims Pilgrimages to Rupp Arena, which is right there in the center of Lexington. And what I wanted them to experience, what Kelly and I wanted them to experience, is that when you're there, people dress alike and we look alike and we talk the same way. And even in New Jersey, wearing a Kentucky shirt, there are times where someone, I'll walk by and someone will go, Go, cats. And it's just a little whisper. And I'm like, Yeah, we have something in common. There's a connection that we have. There's this thing that we do that we love, and it is Kentucky Wildcat basketball. Did I mention they won last night? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're in the lead in the SEC. It's pretty sure at the lock they're going to win the SEC this year. So I'm really, really excited and debated about sharing this story because that was really tenuous at at best. Okay, so this November, we went to a Wildcat Warehouse, another picture of Jordan there up on the screen. Wildcat Warehouse is where we buy our Kentucky gear. Uh, uh, I bought Kentucky gear at Wildcat Warehouse when I was in college, and it's this shop that is right in the shadow of Rupp Arena. And you can buy Kentucky gear on Amazon, but when you can get it from Wildcat Warehouse, that is the place to buy your Kentucky gear. And uh, we spent an obscene amount of money uh, on Wildcat gear. Uh, We all became members of Wildcat Warehouse because if you became a member, you also got a free t-shirt. So when we were all done, we got four more t-shirts because we all joined and got the text code and showed it to the guy and we got extra t-shirts. So we love, I care about, I am passionate about UK basketball and I've influenced this small group of people. Uh... To be part of this big blue nation. So my children and uh, and it's one of the rules we have about dating too. <laughs> is that you have to be willing to wear Kentucky shirts. Uh, uh, I have one team that I've uh, so no, this I'm going off on a tangent now, but if but but Duke, <laughs> I have a shirt that says I still hate Leitner. Uh, those of you don't remember, but in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. Uh, Kentucky played Duke, and it went into triple overtime, and on the very last shot of triple overtime, Christian Laettner, with 10 seconds left, shot a, um, two points to win the game, and my heart and dreams were crushed in 1990-something, and I have a shirt that says, I still hate Laettner, hating is okay in that situation, in that circumstance. So we're in the series called What Counts? As Joe mentioned uh, today, we're going to talk about what we care about counts. And we've been using letters that Paul wrote to Timothy as our framework for this series. And just some background I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks is that Timothy was a pastor at a church in Ephesus in the first century. And last week, I mentioned that there was this, that Ephesus was an incredibly important city in the first century. There was about two hundred and fifty thousand people that lived in the city of Ephesus in the first century. It was a port city uh, It was considered the crown jewel of Asia Minor uh, It was kind of like the New York City of the first century i mean it was it was it was, it had big influence and in it. it was it was a very important place at the time and because Ephesus was an important city in the Roman Empire because it was important geographically and culturally and economically. It was also a strategic city for this new church that was forming in the first century. I suggested last week that you read about Ephesus by reading Acts chapter 19 to learn more about Ephesus. And if you did read that, great. If you didn't, that's okay. I'm going to give you a quick summary of some some things that I read this week in Acts chapter 19. It was in Ephesus that sick people... Were healed by Paul's old handkerchiefs and aprons. It says that that there was such a spirit in the city, such a spirit that was that was hovering over Paul that he would take old hankies and then give them to someone for healing. people would take those and they would be healed because of the presence that the Holy Spirit was present in Paul's life and was influencing the city. That, that's, that's in Acts chapter 19. You'd also read in Acts chapter 19 that there was this, uh, there was a massive pile of magic books that were burned because uh, uh, as I mentioned, there was all sorts of different religious uh, ideas and, and uh, incantations and all these kinds of things that this influence that was in the city. And so so at one point, all these Men and women were coming to Christ and coming to Jesus and and they were their lives were being changed and they just were kind of just they burned all their religious books, all their their formerly religious, uh, former religious books. Uh, also, in Acts chapter Nineteen, you read about a guy named Demetrius who was uh, running the Silver Guild, and uh, silver was uh, economically uh, was uh, was was a big uh, 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 crafting thing is, uh, going on in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, it's because the Artemis god uh, uh, figurines were sold in Ephesus. And uh, because, again, because of lives being changed, because the culture was shifting towards a culture of Christianity and, and in large numbers, the silver guild was losing money. And so there was complaints about people not buying Artemis idols. And because of that, uh, they were losing money. And so a riot breaks out, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 19. But my favorite story in all of Acts chapter 19 that happens in Ephesus, uh, it's about the seven sons of Seva. I'll read it to you because it's really good. So a team of Jews who were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, trying to use the name of Jesus. All right? They're trying to use the name of Jesus. The, the, so they created an incantation. So they thought that they could put together a formula or like, like a, say some magic words. And if they said the magic words, then something special would happen. And so they created this canta- incantation that they used. They would say, I command you by Jesus... who who Paul preaches, to come out. And so they thought these were magical words. And if they said these magical words in a particular way, uh, magic things would happen. So seven sons of Siva, who was a leading priest, was doing this. All right, He was putting out these incantations. But when they tried it on a man possessed by an evil spirit, the spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Now, you can't really read it like that when you read the Bible because you have to imagine, here's this guy casting down an evil spirit. And if you watch any movies like The Exorcist or things like that, they don't talk with a normal voice. So really what's happening is this guy is coming along and he's using this magical incandation. He's saying, I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. And this evil spirit says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And then it says he leaped on them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and badly injured. So they got beat up by an evil spirit spirit. Isn't that kind of not funny, but it's real life, isn't it? All right. That's all in Acts chapter 19. And you didn't read it last week. So Ephesus is the city living in this opposition to the kingdom of God. There's this Artemis worship happening there's there 's this incredible wealth there 's this this idea of pleasure and success and there 's these opposing values that are that are that are mixing and and uh, multiple thoughts that go are going on there 's these differing cultural norms and practices are all taking place it 's not much different. Than 21st century living today, I would suggest. And so Paul writes these two letters to Timothy, and at the beginning of both letters, Paul challenges Timothy with some ideas on what counts, what is of value. And we're going to read those. Uh, I'm actually going to start with the second Timothy passage. Then we're going to jump the first Timothy. Uh, it's likely that Paul is encouraging Timothy during a difficult time in the church. Again, Timothy is pastor in this church in Ephesus, and it's. Um, uh, it, it's a tough place to be culturally, uh, to to be the church. He's living out a faith in this metropolitan experience of Ephesus. And uh, there's going to be a continued persecution for the church, and Timothy is responsible for leading this effort. And so Paul and Timothy have been lifelong friends, as far as we can tell, and Paul knows Timothy and knows Timothy's story well. And so up on the screen, he says, in his letter, he says, I remember your genuine faith, Timothy, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so Paul tells Timothy, I believe in you. Timothy, I believe in you. It's likely Timothy's having a challenging time leading this church and it would feel good for Timothy to hear this encouragement, right? Doesn't it always encouragement feel best when you need it most? I remember early on, my kids are older now. They're 24 and 21 and 17. Whenever I say their ages, I always get made fun of at lunch because I mess one up, but I think I did it right that time. And, uh, but when they were little, there was a time, I don't remember which one it was, we'll say it was Nathan because he's not here today, uh, where he and I were having a, a bout and struggle, and I was having, a, I felt a really bad dad day. And I remember uh, sitting down, and I don't remember all of the, what was going on, all the setting, but I remember Kelly, my wife, saying, uh, you're a good dad. And it was just those simple words of encouragement or what I needed at that time. And I imagine that's what's happening here. That Paul's telling Timothy, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I want you to fan into flame, Paul says. Uh, uh, The King James Version says, I want you to stir up. So you can imagine a fire and the coals are kind of dwindling. And Paul tells him, stir that up, Timothy. Add some oxygen to it and revive what's going on inside of you. Stir it up. Fan into flames that thing that's inside of you. And in case you forget, because the flame has gotten so dim, Timothy, if you've forgotten what's inside of you, Paul says it's courage and power and love and self-discipline. It's courage and power and love and self That's inside of you, Timothy. Just stir it up. Fan it into flame. Now, I had a stumbling block here in prep because self-discipline doesn't really seem to fit. Courage, power, love, those are all very emotional. And self-discipline seems too practical in that sentence. And then I found this one commentary that, for me, breathed some life into it. The author suggested that the Greek word is this untranslatable word. It's one of those words that's just difficult to put some meaning to. And so one translation uses the word sensible, and that didn't help in that sentence either. And self-discipline seems a little too... uh, 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 um, um. Controlled, compared to courage and power and love. And then there's this other translation that says it's the sanity of saintliness. The sanity of saintliness. And at first I was like, what does, that doesn't help me, I don't think. But what is the sanity of saintliness? And then the author goes on to say it's this idea of a divinely given self-control. And he references the Beatitudes. And so, Paul says, Timothy, don't forget, there's this thing burning inside of you that is about courage and power and love and this sanity of saintliness. That God blesses those who realize their need for God. That's not normal. That's something the saints figure out, right? That God blesses those who mourn. The message version says that God blesses those who lose what's most dear to them. That God blesses those who are gently and lowly. That God blesses those who are hungry and thirst for justice or have an appetite for God. That God blesses those who are merciful. That God blesses those whose hearts are pure, or their inside world has been figured out. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those. God blesses you when you're mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers. And then it says, be happy about it. And then I thought, maybe that's this passion that we're talking about, that it's about courage and power and love and this thing that's burning inside of me that has control over me, that there's this thing and that this relationship with Jesus that has taken over control that causes me to not think as the world thinks but to begin to think and act and live differently. It's taken control over me, And Paul says, allow that to be stirred up, Timothy. And breathe life into it and let it fan into flame. Now hold on to that. I want to connect that with this other idea in 1 Timothy. So we're going to jump back and it's also going to be up on the screen. That, so what is this thing that controls us? What is this thing that... Paul is telling us to stir up this idea of this passion that is in us. It's more than just courage and more than just uh, uh, um, um, uh, power and love. It's this thing that has control over us. This thing that Paul saw inside of Timothy that brings this courage and power and love. And it leads to this idea of passion. And it's up on the screen. And I'm reading this time from the message version just because, I, again, I mentioned last week. It reads really well as a letter this way. And it says... Timothy, the whole point of what we're urging, the whole point, the whole deal is simply love. Love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith. A life open to God. Those who fail to keep this point soon wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip and they Set themselves up as experts on religious issues. Now, the Ephesian church, let me pause the Ephesian church is living in the midst of all these multiple religious ideas and philosophical environments, and and there's these beliefs and there's these ways of life are abundant. And one of the ways that that was thought to combat these things was was in this these this multiple ways of thinking is they would get together for debate and argument. And we all know how well that works out. But they would get together for debate and argument about what is the right religious idea. Or they would consider, if they weren't getting together for debate, they'd also decide, well, what if I pick and choose some different ways for worship? And while we would say that doesn't make sense, we tend to do that as well. But in the first century, is very prevalent. And so they create this eclectic theology where they would take from these different folks, which is what the the priest in uh, this uh, this, uh that I just read about was doing is that, that he was taking this idea, oh, Jesus works? That's terrific. I'm going to create an incantation, and that then will work with casting out demons. So they're taking these, uh, these competing ideas and merging them together into this eclectic theology. So all of that's going on, and Paul says, Paul says, they set themselves up as experts on religious issues but haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. Paul, another time, calls it meaningless talk in another version. And Paul says the whole point of what we're urging is simply love and uncontaminated love. Now, I I know that I used to uh, comment when I was younger that my pastor, every time he got up to preach, only talked about love. And I I thought of that as I was getting ready. I'm "I'm just going to talk about love. Are you kidding me? But then uh, last night, I was looking on Facebook. I only have Facebook for this reason. Everybody always has a reason for why they have Facebook. Ashley Evans made me get Facebook. All right, she told me, you're gonna plan a campus in Mount Laurel. You need to have Facebook so we can use the things that you do to promote it. She found out I don't do anything that's worth promoting. Uh, so I really don't need a Facebook. Uh, but what I did was I joined the Evesham uh, group and the Mount Laurel group, and I joined all those different groups around there. And here's what I read last night as I was getting ready for bed. I'm flipping through the Facebook feed. And there is somebody who says, a church knocked on our door last night. And there's 87 comments. And I was, ooh, I've got to read this. And so I clicked on it and read the 87 comments. And 83 of them were negative. It started this way. Someone came and knocked on our door and they told us how the way we live is wrong and the way they want us to live is the only right way. How dare they? That's how it started. And then it digressed. And of the 87 comments, 83 were negative, And there were four people who just, who said, maybe they just wanted to help. And then the Moderator who started a little conversation said, "No, that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to preach at us. They told my son that if he didn't go to their church, he was going to go to hell." And I go, and it just just digressed and just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I'm like, I'm like, we're in Ephesus. I don't doubt that that church has is well meaning and cares and has good ideas, but debating people on their front porch is not the way to do that. But what does uncontaminated love look like? It's not a teaching, it's not an idea. It's what we've been singing about, right? It's a person. It's a person named Jesus who lived and died and lives again. That was the first century message it was, that was so outstanding is that is the, it was the message of resurrection. That's what made the difference in that church is that they believed that Jesus had lived and died and was living again and was resurrected. That he was a person who was and is God wrapped in flesh. That he was a person who saw brokenness and sin and found a way to forgive that brokenness and sin. A person who not only forgives brokenness and sin, but someone who heals through resurrection, resurrecting himself and resurrecting our lives. Isn't that our story? It's about resurrection. We sang, chains are gone, debt is paid. Jesus means death to death and life to me. All right, thank you. I am fascinated and overwhelmed by the love that Jesus chose to show me. I was lost, I was broken, I was as far from God as you can be. And intellectually, I knew everything there was to know about Jesus because I had grown up in church. But then someone challenged me, to experience jesus and i can still tell you i can go to the spot at this little old camp in south jersey and there's this white altar rail that's about 150 it is 150 or 200 years old and i can take you to the exact spot where i met jesus for the first time and it changed me. I'm telling you, it wasn't a change here. It was a change inside. I still can't 30-some years later express to you what changed or how it changed, but I know it changed, and something was different. I experienced forgiveness for the first time that, uh, and, and experienced it. Did I know about it before? Absolutely. Could I express it before? I was really good at playing the church game, but I was so far from God that I had never really experienced it, and I found this new direction. And I found this new life. And it all happened because of an experience at this little tiny camp where this white altar rail. And someone invited me to experience Jesus for the first time. And it changed my life. And if we took the time, I know you folks have some of those same stories. And we want to invite people to experience this same Jesus. We sang, I give my whole life to honor this love. To experience this idea of a sanity of saintliness. That this same life-changing and resurrecting a relationship with Jesus is possible for each person. One look at our world and we recognize that it's not like that, right? That this is not home for us. That it's not the way God intended uh, I officiated a funeral uh, yesterday and one of the things I say at a funeral is I give three reasons for why we're gathered together. It's for mourning, uh, it's for remembrance, and the third is to recognize our own mortality. And I talk about that all of us are going to be in the same circumstance that Joe is in. That one day, and it was not Joe, sorry, it was the guy. So forgive me, the guy, and I'm pointing, I'm realizing it's Joe and I'm pointing at Joe. Like, he's, hey, Joe's good to go. But really, sorry, sorry it just turned out the guy's name was joe that's weird my bad joe's never coming back Uh, steve uh forgive me forgive me but uh that we're all going to be in the same circumstance right that that one thing we all have in common is we will all die and that that's not the way God designed it, but that's the reality of the world we live in, is that the world is broken, the world is skewed, the world is uh, off-center, and it's all because of sin, and because of sin that we've experienced, the sin that we've participated in, and it leads to brokenness, and ultimately it leads to death.